apologies if there's any extra sounds on this uh, particular episode. I Listen, the office that I've been recording Elwood City Limits in for the past, uh, how long have I been here? Like three or four years? It gets very, very warm, especially in the type of summer heat that we're having in our hometown. So it's either going to be the fan is on or the window's open. And I don't like to leave the fan on because that's, you know, in other podcasts, that can drive me crazy. So I got to have the window open. There's got to be a bit of a, I mean, there's no breeze coming in, but there's at least there's, there's air, there's air circulating. This is what I need to do to survive while recording Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. I kind of like the window open because mm. it adds like kind of an X factor, you know, because whenever we have a take, if there's sirens outside, we could always say that they're coming to arrest us for the take. You know, you hear some bikers. It's like, oh, Will, these bikers are going to come beat you up because of your take. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's true. And there are the, the biking noises for some reason in the summer. <laughs> or uh, this this was this was interesting. Uh, while my wife and I were watching Little Miss Sunshine on Saturday, okay. There was just a just a woman screaming uh, oh, from next that's door, fun. and it was not, it, you know at first we're just like oh my gosh is that woman okay? And it wasn't like a scream for help. It was like she seemed really mad about something. And my hypothesis mm. is that she was screaming in order to keep somebody at the motel that we live next to awake. Like it was a ah. it was a defiant, angry scream with no no words behind it, just like a primal scream. So I'm thinking that she was trying to annoy slash keep someone awake. Maybe she was really passionate about the 2006 Academy Awards. And she was displeased uh, that uh, Little Miss Sunshine didn't win more. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe. Or she was getting really into the episode of The Practice we were watching after that. She was uh, true, true. Was very interesting, and you know the you know that the the heat that we're going through it sometimes can bring the animal out of you. So, uh, uh, my name is Will Young, of course. That's Lucas Mancini, my co-host today. And Lucas, we're gonna get basically right down to it. We don't have any emails to answer. There's no Arthur news up top. So, allow me to just uh, quickly, well, not quickly, but to start by thanking the patrons who make our extra content possible at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. So, of course, if you are a patron and you didn't know, the latest episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast, is available right now. It is all about Jakers, the adventures of Piggly Winks, uh, the most uh, the, the most Irish PBS Kids show there's ever been, I suppose. So you can, uh, we we dive into that. Lucas has a little bit more knowledge of it than I do, but uh, and I discovered for the first time. So you can hear that episode right now. And coming up soon is going to be our next episode of ECL Origins. And I'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, I, August is going to look a little bit different because we are uh, rumbling along Arthur Season 17 at quite a good pace. In fact... We'll be finished it before you know it. And that kind of goes into our August plans a little bit. And we want to thank the people who are putting down their money to uh, get ECL a week early, to get these uh, extra podcasts and all the great content that comes with it. Hundreds of hours of content if you pay what you want at patreon.com slash Limits, And you can become one of the many like Teresa and Stella. You can be like Muppet Baby Cat and Sierra S. Maybe you, you want to be like Owen or EJ Acra. Uh, thank you to Hannah Kitten and to JHC. Thank you to RG and Alex K. Thank you to Jeffrey Norris, Katie, and Richard Mortimer. Thank you to Grace Cole and Chloe and Ash. Thank you to Nick Vuono and Hay Strouder. And thank you to Hannah Lee. If it's been a while since you've heard your name, like, don't worry. I do keep track of where we are in terms of uh, whose name gets said when. So your name is coming, I promise. But if you haven't heard yours in a while, you can always bug me on Patreon or Discord, which, hey, that's another perk you get access to, is the ECL Discord. And you can just say, hey, I haven't heard my name in a while, and I will put you right at the top of the list. So, Lucas, uh, we're sitting back here on this midweek afternoon, and we got us a Double George episode. 
George times two. Not was I not what I was expecting this week. I feel like this season has been um, combined, like doing double of one character as opposed to spreading the characters out. Yeah, it's an interesting choice because I'm so used to having it's. It's only very rare that you have a character go through both stories, and usually those stories tend to. Uh, be related to one another, but these ones these ones aren't. These are just two that happen to involve the main character, which is George. And the first one, appropriately enough, as Lucas and I are big big film guys over here, it's all about the director's cut. And over in this story, it's the first day on a movie set for the director who, I gotta believe, this guy's gotta be throwaway character of the week, or maybe we'll see him again because okay. he gets a full name, Tufton Sinclair. So Tufton Sinclair, this is actually kind of a, and you can correct me if I'm misremembering this, Will, but this is actually a notable cold open, because is this the first time the throwaway character of the week has been the star of a cold open? Probably. Like, a lot of a lot of the characters that you have designated are usually one-scene wonders, and that scene isn't in the, and the scene is usually not in the cold open. You usually have to wait wait a little bit. And uh, to get to the person that you would designate as the throwaway character of the week, probably. Like, I can't think of any. Because, yeah, Arthur always hosts it. Sometimes DW. Yeah. You know, sometimes the Brain or Buster or I feel like Francine and Muffy maybe have had their 15 minutes of fame in the cold mm-hmm. open. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Fern even. But never like now he doesn't really address the camera at first. That's what I thought was happening, and it's just kind of following him through his directorial process. Uh, and George does show up at the end, so I'm not sure if it quite counts. But I can't remember, and the listeners can correct me if this if I, on this if I'm wrong. Uh, when we've had a cold open, kind of starring a new character or a character un- uh, never before seen. Yes, and uh, many of our listeners have a more encyclopedic knowledge of Arthur at hand, so please let us know if a throwaway character of the week has ever been the star of a cold open, but such as Tufton Sinclair is here. Now, this is, um, I had to make sure to look this up, because at first I thought that maybe this was like a celebrity voice or something, but no, it is a, it is a Canadian voice actor who's done many different children's voice acting roles, as well as, as, well as uh, f- physical acting roles as well. Uh, just putting on the, yeah, Tufton Sinclair, I'm like a director out of the 20s, even though he kind of looks like he's like Tom Cruise and Magnolia a little bit. Yeah, he reminded me of the director in um, Mulholland Drive. Yeah, he's got the same glasses yeah. as that Justin, guy, yeah, Justin yeah, yeah, Theroux. Yeah, yeah. I, to- yeah, I totally, I yeah, totally see yeah. what you're talking about. That's a really good comparison. So he is directing on his set, and he notices that George is there. George is behind a a barrier, and George gets a little sheepish, but he does ask for the director's autograph, which. Tufton Sinclair is a little bit taken aback by. He's like, usually you want the actor's uh, autographs, not the director's. But uh, George is a big fan of Tufton Sinclair. His favorite film he has the poster for that he wants him to sign. It's called Flight of Dreams, The Tale of Pietro Pigeon. Which it's like, it's it's a little bit like that Twitter that Twitter joke where, uh, or, was, or was it TikTok maybe, that joke of like, you know, film fans will ask you to watch their favorite movie, and it's a five-hour movie about the tale of the downfall of the Soviet Republic from the point of view of a pigeon. <laughs> Maybe that's what Flight True. of Dreams is about. I do also want to note, before I go further here, there is a visual cameo from a one-time character. Now, this was before we established Throwaway Character of the Week. Back in Season 1, if you look closely... Of like the one of the PAs who helps Tufton Sinclair, it's Arthur's cousin Mo. I I uh, I didn't even notice this. Yeah, so she's got the jean jacket. She's got the, I think she's got like a baseball tee, a bit longer hair. But that's Arthur's cousin Mo as she appears <laughs> at the end of the uh, family reunion episode. I don't know why this is this is purely based off vibes, but I feel like yeah, PA is a cousin job. You know what I mean? Everybody has cousins who have like, what do you do again? And it's like, oh, I'm a PA. <laughs> what What are some other like cousin jobs? Like, I, 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 uh, I think I'm there with you, but like, I'm interested to being hear a re- more about this. Being really into Tool. That well, that's a cousin. That's, well, that's, that's, that's some more, cousin that's more stuff of a trait. right there. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, like yeah, yeah, yeah. occupations. Mm. So occupation. What do cousins do? So social media manager. Yeah, my uh, one of my cousins works at a brewery. 
Yeah, brewery definitely cousin job. That's that's some cousin stuff right there. <laughs> I'm interested. I'm interested in this. I never. I've never really thought about it before, but I I kind of get what you're talking about. Does Does your cousin work at a brewery like Tool? <laughs> uh, n- no, I, I I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. Um, so George gets his autograph, and Tufton Sinclair gives him a little bit of advice because George isn't sure if maybe he wants to be a director, but this gives him. Uh, the impetus to go out and try, and that's what this episode is about. It's about George making a movie. So he starts it off by borrowing a camera from Muffy. This is a good, this is a good play. He's not going into serious debt. You know, he's not Kevin Smith. He's not financing his movie with by going into credit card debt. But he borrows a camera from Muffy, and we have two options here. And I bet this was funny for anybody who is seriously into tech. The two brands are the Ultra Zoom Zoltrex SL90 and the Okita <laughs> 612. Um, both of these are the writers did an excellent job with the fake camera names here because Okita sounds like Nikita mm. or Nik- Nikon. It's like Nikon, yeah. Uh, Nikon, Nikon, yeah. I, I guess Nikita is like a tool brand, but Okita 612 and Ultra Zoom Vortex. What was it? Zoltrex? Zoltrex SL90. Zoltrex. The yeah, SL90 is a, is a really good touch. Yeah. Uh, and so Muffy, in letting George borrow one of these cameras, kind of names herself as producer. She thinks that maybe she will be the star, but then she decides that she's going to be producer, the financier of the project, because essentially she's giving George this camera. And so the very first day when George wants to start not shooting, but essentially putting the movie together, she hires a few of their friends. So Buster's going to be the cameraman. Arthur is the actor, Binky is the stuntman, and DW is the adorable little girl. Because as Muffy says, every good movie needs an adorable little girl. I don't know if it, uh, it I don't know if that math checks out. I was, Lucas, as you know, I was watching uh, Michael Mann's The Insider. To, oh, there <laughs> I was, was an adorable little up. girl in that, actually. It was the, it was the, right, pep, it's the little pixie girl. Okay, maybe. Was the movie made better by that? I was going to say, yeah, I was going to bring up that you just watched Michael Mann's The Insider. <laughs> um, and you know what? Actually, I was good because, yeah, Michael Mann is like a good shorthand for movies that have like no women in them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was going to bring up uh, Heat, but Heat also has an adorable little girl in it, uh, Natalie Portman. Hmm. So, um, and he is Michael they, Mann, they're, they're, so like maybe there, there might be some sound logic maybe here. Maybe he's yeah. onto something. Um, so George's idea for the movie is he wants to create a fairy tale and the fairy tale is about this lonely kid who in George's imagination is himself in sort of Arthurian times who encounters a witch and the witch makes him a friend from a pile of wood. And that is in his imagination, Wally. But in exchange, George has to find a rose to, so that she can complete this spell. He has a year to do it. He doesn't. So he is turned into a statue, and the wooden boy is turned back into a wood pile. But then the wood pile rescues the boy, and yeah, it's it, it's a little bit a little bit of Pinocchio in there, a little bit of the Green Knight in there before the Green Knight was a movie, and that he has like a year to fulfill a bargain to a mystical figure. Yeah, this is a weirdly high concept. I thought they were just going to do a straight kind of genre or straight parody mm-hmm. with George's movie. Um, but this is a weird, like, it's almost like a Del Toro style, like, folklore fantasy tale. Yes, yes. Um, very, very strange. Um, the Witch is also probably the mm-hmm. most messed up Arthur character we've seen in a while in terms <laughs> of just, like, the way they look. Um, it's a pretty classic so witch design. We- Classic witch design, but done in, like, the Arthur style where it's, like, an animal with, like, a messed up chin. Like, <laughs> this is a weird-looking This is a weird looking guy, uh, this witch. So that was the kind of the notable thing was just that George's movie was strangely high concept. It didn't really seem to be a direct parody of anything, um, which is c- kind of fun, pretty creative, I guess. High concept and also, like, I thought this was going to be a point that they would make later on, but it wasn't. It was that George is expecting there to be, like, a lot of special effects like at one point the wood pile turns into like a a giant wooden hand and it's just i thought the problem was going to be like well we can't accomplish that but uh george is willing to uh lower his own expectations i suppose what i really liked about this is that you know george is telling the story to everybody and he's getting really into it he's a very strong story storyteller it's just that he is a very shy kid so it's it's but once he gets into it 
Like, everybody is interested and on board and wants to do it. So they set about making George's movie. But along the way, his friends have a lot of suggestions and additions to the original story. So uh, we see an initial scene where Arthur, who's playing the kid, uh, encounters a ninja, which Arthur wrote into the script because he felt it needed an action beat, which classic (laughs) producer's note. And usually, you know, I'm on the side of the auteur, but uh, seeing uh, George's vision, I think I actually might uh, prefer Arthur's choice. I think it ninja spices this flick up. And what I liked here and there is that we get to see the different ways in which George is being like a kid filmmaker and how he approaches some of these. Mm. So like when he is telling Buster essentially the blocking of the scene, he illustrates a storyboard using like a a notepad and colored pencils to illustrate the zoom in that he wants on Arthur. I thought that was really cool because that's something that like people do now. Like not every filmmaker uses storyboards, but it is a way to get across visually what you're looking to do. If you're going to do a story about, uh, you know, kids making home movies, which is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, you know, from your super eights to even like, um, the Fablemans. What was that movie? The Fablemans, the, uh, what was the Be Kind Rewind? Yeah, Not necessarily kids, mm-hmm. but stories about making movies, um, you know, independently with like no budget. Uh, I always find that pretty inspiring and reminds me of my childhood. Um, so it's uh, the the interesting element is always kind of the techniques people use and how much of real filmmaking kind of seeps in. So I too enjoyed this and that detail. Did you like make a lot of movies when you were younger? Were you were you the director yeah, or did yeah, you yeah. like act in your friends' stuff? Uh, it was more of a, a collaborative thing. Like I, I think better than kind of George in this story, we were better at, at having multiple cooks in the kitchen. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's like that's an early that's an early um, problem you can run into with productions when you're younger. Everybody everybody has an idea. Everybody wants to be director. I, I this is also probably a good point to bring this up. I wrote this down, and also in talking about it here, we've mentioned in the past few podcast episodes that. Some of the episodes we're watching are very similar to much older Arthur episodes to the point where you could almost consider them remakes. They're not completely the same, but they are similar in that they're kind of using the same idea with different characters. I think this is also true of this one because when we get to the point where everybody is making suggestions about what to change, it reminded me a lot of Arthur writes a story which is how, you know, if you don't remember, it's a season one episode wherein Arthur's trying to write the story about how he got pal, but everybody has their own suggestion on how to make it better, and then by the end it just ends up being nonsense. And of course, we've also had an episode in, I want to say it was season two, of Arthur and his friends trying to make the James Hound movie. So we've had a similar episode like this before. I think this is different enough, but we're definitely remixing ideas. Which, I mean, hey, this is, at this point we're in season 17, it must be hard to think of completely original ideas by now. So as, George is the protagonist here. They're changing things around enough, and they're also modernizing it a little bit. So it's not as you know flagrant. Like, for example, the, the video camera that they're using uh, doesn't have, like, the VHS port on the side anymore. So that's a big difference. Oh, good detail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, DW is initially cast as the witch, but she doesn't want to be, like, the ugly witch, like you talked about, Lucas. She wants to be Sparkles, the adorable witch, which is another change that George isn't really interested in. And Muffy... Yeah, yeah. and, and it's like watching the, the documentary Hearts of Darkness. Um, <laughs> you can see now George is starting to lose control of the film, right? It went from yeah. um, Arthur kind of rewriting the script to include ninjas to now George seems to be... The, the production is starting to go off the rails a little bit. And the... Uh, speaking of that, you reminded me another documentary about... Um, a movie going wrong. What was it? Uh, sorry, I'm going to do just a little Googling right here uh, about... Right. Lo- uh, Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Very similar. In both George's production and 
the Island of Dr. Moreau movie that came out in the 90s had somebody basically commanding the film, except Muffy, mm. Muffy's not dictating things from her tent like Marlon Brando was. She is she is essentially hearing all these ideas coming in from everybody and being like, that's great, I love it, let's do it. And also charging George to go out and get catering, uh, which George rightly says is not his job as a director. Uh, I, it seems a little bit like working for Vince McMahon in that the, the, <laughs> the tales you hear is that whoever talked to him last is who he's listening to. And that's why uh, Monday Night Raw ends up being such a mess every week. Right. At the end of Monday Night Raw, uh, they've got Seth Rollins doing a, a doing a country hoedown in space uh, <laughs> on the planet Tremclad. <laughs> uh, and George... Another thing that I thought was really cool, there's a scene that they're filming where Arthur has to walk next to Wally as if Wally is like as in, uh, Pinocchio. And the way they do this is that they have Buster, and well, they are supposed to have Buster film it. And George is puppeteering Wally and walking alongside Arthur by like laying on his back on a wagon, which I thought, which was again like just a really cool, smart, inventive way to achieve the shot that he wanted. Yeah, it's, again, reminiscent of, like, when you hear in Evil Dead, they broke that window with a broom uh, yeah. for the, the shot from the Evil Dead's perspective. That kind of guerrilla filmmaking stuff is what's fun about stories in episodes like this. George would be a big, like, rainy head, I think, just, and just based on how, like, you read Bruce Campbell's autobiography and find out how they filmed the original, the Evil Dead, and I bet George would love that story. Uh, but unfortunately, in this case, Buster was distracted by, I think it was it like a dog or a butterfly and forgot to film it. And then the camera ran out of batteries. So George is having trouble like managing everybody and managing everybody's expectations because he still wants to make the movie he wants to make. And he's thinking about it in the Sugar Bowl with Wally and Tufton Sinclair gives him a little bit of advice, a little bit of a pep talk. And Tufton Sinclair also has his own stuffed animal whose name is Preston. And he's basically he's basically Arthur's bear Stanley, but with weird hair. I uh put it in the Discord. I think there's a there's a little <laughs> bit of a resemblance between myself and Preston. Uh but yeah, he I, it doesn't really go anywhere. He just has this stuffed bear to relate to George. So George gets a little bit more confidence and he I said he dismisses Muffy as the producer, but he just kind of gently says that he wants to do things a certain way and he takes back control of the production. And this is, again, another like point of respect for George as a director. When I started getting into movies in junior high and high school, I thought, you know, I wanted to be a director. But I quickly realized and know now more than ever, I'm not good at delegating people and I'm not good at management. But George is. He has a job for everybody. Uh, he... And he lays it out in a very, like, he's he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't, he treats them all very well, makes their roles very clearly defined, and he puts it all together to make this movie. And it really seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. The episode ends, you know, they don't actually end up, we don't end up seeing the movie, but the role that George finds for Muffy is that she plays the role of the witch, which is a bit closer to what George was imagining for that role instead of DW as Sparkles the Adorable Witch. And we see we see him doing the classic director pose of the hands folded together with the index fingers up next to his next to his mouth and he's smiling and just like she's good. Like she gets this. So it's a little bit of an abrupt end. Doesn't really we resolve the problems a little bit, but as I said, we we don't get to see more, and I did want to see more. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. Going along with the idea of on a film set, you have a lot of people who want to make decisions. This third, fourth grade class, whatever, are forming committees to make decisions. So we have a few committees here, Lucas, and different uh, different jobs for them yeah. to do. So we've got. I have yeah. some notes. Ooh. I have some notes for all these committees. Uh, okay, yeah. so let's start with the math committee. Their their job is to choose four different math related games for them to play. And by them, by uh, them, I mean the class. 
I, I think this is pretty cute because, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily the hardest problem to solve, but the math kids solve it immediately. It's like you need four different games. There's four people on the committee. Everybody nominate one game. Problem solved. Great idea. Then there's the writing committee who are charged to pick a type of writing exercise for the class to do. Yeah, a little bit more difficult. They all have to work together. Uh, but it's this next committee that I take issue with. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Um, so you're, you're, you're talking about the recess committee who, I guess, their job is to decide what, what they're going to do during recess. But go ahead. The recess committee, okay, they couldn't have had an easier job. They say, guys, during recess, what we're going to do is free play. Do whatever you want. And it's like, okay, the math committee... They had to toil over kind of dictating who gets to nominate games. Yeah. The research committee's like, well, we should just have recess, eh? <laughs> um, it's like it's like when Nova Scotia Power, uh, the America Corporation, are like, hmm, should we give our, our CEOs a, more money this year? I think we should. That's what's <laughs> yeah. like giving the recess the committee the power to dictate what happens during a recess. There's hardly any discussion. Like, they all just agree yeah, almost immediately. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I put in brackets like, "What were the other options? Like, were there any?" I know sometimes you can like organize a game during recess, but they're just like free play. Yeah, free play, free play. Uh, early lunch, early lunch, early lunch. Let's do it. Yeah, and then finally, a head student is nominated who gets to pick the line order, which used to be a pretty big deal. Like. 30 years ago to to me and his name is Zachary so he decides that it's going to go first name backwards so we're starting with uh, Z name at the front Zachary and then go back in backwards alphabetical order which good I appreciate as somebody who is at the back of the alphabet no matter what way you slice it I appreciated those days I appreciated that yeah it, it's it's funny that uh, um, Stephen here couldn't wait to use his executive powers. I feel like they've never lined up this way because you can see the glee in Steven's eyes. He's a, he's a, Zachary, uh, a little dick. Zachary. Why do I have Steven written down? <laughs> I'm making up kids names here, but Zachary, you could see the dictatorship, like kind of the glee. There's a little glint in his eye that he's ready to like dictate. The old, D and the old DW. Now I know what true power feels like. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I just feel like there's no way that they've ever lined up this way before because he was just too excited to do yeah. it. Yeah. And the only other note I had is that the music in this segment reminded me of a Nintendo game. Specifically, uh, there's a great game for the Switch. If you have a Switch, it's called uh, Clubhouse Games. It's just a collection of different board games, and it has really pleasant uh, music that sounds very similar to the one in this segment, and I, I really enjoyed it. Hi, everybody. It's Lucas your favorite co-host from Elwood City Limits. Um, I want to remind you folks that if you like listening to the podcast, first and foremost, the best way to spread the love is to tell a friend who is interested in Arthur or podcasts or animation or hearing about Nova Scotia for some reason. But there's some other things you could do as well. For instance, you can follow us on social media. Twitter is at ECL Podcast. The Instagram is at Elwood City Limits. My pet project, the Twitch channel, which we do live streams on sometimes, twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits Pod. And we also have a Facebook and Tumblr as well. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's where Will has been diligently uploading all of the episodes if they're not on your podcast listening service of choice. If they aren't on one of those services, let us know. You can reach out to us on social media or via email at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. Finally, the Patreon is where you can find all of our paywall content, patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. This gives you access to the Discord, where we have a bustling community, as well as some exclusive videos, audio bonuses, such as commentary for the various Arthur movies and more, as well as some of our additional podcasts for the kids, is where me and Will uh, cover all the PBS shows that aren't Arthur, as well as ECL Origins, where we really talk about any show from our childhood that we want. Uh, and most importantly, you get early access to every episode of ECL. You get to flex on your friends that you're getting it a week early. You can join for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. 
And now, back to the show. And from George to George, this one is called Crime and Consequences. And it does, the cold open does start in a fantasy scenario, although I was I was not sure at first. It doesn't completely let on. In Mr. Ratburn's class, the George Lundgren Award for the nicest kid of the year is being awarded. And I thought maybe, thought maybe there was a chance this might be real. So I was like, all right, let me just wait and see here. The award goes to George, who graciously accepts but then we then we hear police sirens and in like one of the biggest laughs I've gotten from an Arthur episode in a while George and Wally look at the door and one of them says the cops yeah this uh this was definitely the superior of the two cold opens George getting arrested I like that you know we always give praise to the uh dream sequences in Arthur for the more outlandish they could get I'm talking long arm of the law, dragging Arthur mm-hmm. away, mm-hmm. Arthur getting digested by a clam. Um, we've seen some pretty horrific things in these nightmare sequences. Um, but nothing is more nightmarish, Will, than the uh, harsh reality of law enforcement. And so I kind of like this really grounded nightmare where the cops take George away. Because um, it's pretty, like, gr- grim. Um, he's 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 arrested and the the arresting officer even said explicitly says you're under arrest for being mean and George (laughs) completely cops to it he fully admits to it he's just like yep take me away you're right and this is of course a dream and George wakes up I'm all like I again another thing I'm impressed by George about he he wakes up in his start and then he talks to himself as Wally so it's like as soon as he wakes up he can just immediately snap into Wally mode, which I think is an underrated talent. Like, it's just like a lot of times, you know, I've known people who you wake them up and they need like 30 minutes to really get their head going. George is like, no, as soon as his eyes are open, he is ready for action. How this relates back to what actually happens is that George is part of, is in shop class with a couple of the other characters. And they have all created a Ferris wheel made out of toothpicks. And B- Binky complains about this. This is another good line because they had to get so many toothpicks. They had to take a, a bunch of toothpicks out of sandwiches to which Binky says, I lost a tomato because of that thing. <laughs> also, is is the toothpicks when they're falling, I'm, I'm watching the, the clip now. Is it CGI? Like, hmm... I didn't think so to to look at it, but do you think it? Let me look at this again. Do you, do you think do you think it kind of looks like it might be? Let's take a look here. We were just having a discussion in the Discord about different uh, PBS cartoons that are completely CGI. And okay, I don't th- I don't think it is because I'm I'm pausing the frames and it doesn't look like okay. it. But it's a weirdly like fluid. Maybe I mean, I, f- fluid's not the word for it, but it like pops out of the the frame. Uh, in a way that stuff doesn't normally do it. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. Um, so they have created this toothpick Ferris wheel, and when George comes back into the room by himself to retrieve his backpack, uh, he accidentally knocks it over, completely destroys it, and in what will become a secret mouse tool that we can use later, uh, a scrap of Wally's jacket is left at the scene of the crime as George hurries away. George is very obviously worried about, you know, he feels very guilty that he destroyed it, but he's not sure what to do. And while he's fretting about it, it, I think it's it's Arthur, Buster, and Muffy, I think, who come up to him and say that Binky has been accused of the crime because he was previously making fun of the Ferris wheel or kind of deriding it, as we said, the tomato comment. But George knows that's not true, and he feels he needs to admit what happened so he goes to Mr. Haney's office as Binky is being uh, punished but he has trouble admitting what actually happened this is actually this is the most Mr. Haney that we've gotten in a very long time and it's good to see him back as a character yeah we've missed Mr. Haney I, I think we're still waiting on just a Mr. Haney centric episode um, everybody's gotten so much time in the sun. I, 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 it's been at least multiple seasons where Mr. Haney's been taking up a significant amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I, 
I, I we've got so many seasons left to go. I do hope that we get there eventually. Uh, Mr. Haney uh, has a little thing here where he says he needs to write things down so that he doesn't forget them, which I also have to do as well. I'm looking at my sticky note on my laptop that says podcast and dinner. For the, That's what I have to do for the rest of the day so I don't forget or neglect to do that. George tries to admit it, but he doesn't isn't able to get a word in edgewise before Mr. Haney leaves. So he goes to Binky in the cafeteria, who is already being lightly socially shunned and has to clean up after the shop class for a week as punishment. And George offers to help him, which Binky takes as George just being very nice and doesn't really think anything of it. While they're cleaning the shop class, Binky finds the scrap of fabric from Wally's jacket and so he decides to find the real culprit. And this begins a series of interviewing some characters, along with Fern as Detective Watteau, who we have seen. That's her detective, her newest detective persona, which is a takeoff of the literary character Hercule Poirot. Although I believe this is the first time we've seen her play this character in real life. Every other time she's writing a story about Watteau or she's just imagining it. We're going to get to the point soon where every single Arthur character has a detective alter ego. (laughs) We have Fern. We have Buster. Buster. I feel like Binky has been at least a detective sidekick. Um, I mean, he plays one here, but he doesn't have an alter ego. Um, Arthur solved a mystery at some point. George George has an an alter ego that goes along with Fern, as we see in a little bit here. So Binky... And George try to get the truth out of Buster, who initially confesses to the crime despite not having done it. He just cracks really easily under pressure yes. because of Binky's interrogation. This is my favorite. This is my favorite gag of the episode. Is that yeah, Buster's like I know, but Binky was his interrogation was so scary. He he admits to stealing Binky's juice in first grade, and that's that's what he actually did. So, as, as I said, Fern jumps out of the bushes at Buster's apartment and offers to help them. And the running gag here is that Binky continu- continually mispronounces Watto's name. And, d- in fact, doesn't even address Fern as such. He asks, can you help us, Fern, with a funny accent? They all gather at George's place to go over the clues, including the scrap of fabric that could have been, that is from the person who likely pushed it over. She even comments on the fact, you know, as this is happening, George is acting kind of comedically suspicious, just being like, you know, just like, I don't like I don't know, it really could have been anybody. And Fern notes in a line I liked, you you are acting unpu strange, which unpu is means a little in French, and to which point she even says you're not doing your act your Bastings accent because Bastings is Watteau's assistant, which is normally played by George. And George briefly slips in and he's like, "It's like oh yes, jolly good must must be must go." I don't know if you noticed this, Lucas, when he does the Bastings accent, there's a little music cue that is the theme for Masterpiece Theater. Oh, whoa. No, I didn't notice that. And they would have the rights, given that it's a PBS show. And this also implies that Fern and George have done Watto and Bastings in real life before. Now, and please excuse me, listener, if they've done this outside of a dream sequence or Fern's writing before, I, I don't think so, but I totally could be wrong about that. So apologies if they have done this on camera before, uh, and I've just forgotten. The uh, Another big reason that George is not interested in being as forthcoming with the truth is because Binky earlier says that if he finds out who broke the Ferris wheel and got him in trouble, he will bend them into a pretzel. So we later see George practicing his admission in front of a mirror. And there's a brief bit of body horror, which we've been missing out on in Arthur, I feel, which is where George's body becomes a big pretzel, which surprised me a little bit. We go from the kind of grim, uh, gritty uh, nightmare to a classic kind of Arthur nightmare sequence where he becomes a pretzel man. Eventually, they go to a fair that has come to Elwood City, and uh, Binky and George are still rummaging around for clues. They think that Mr. Haney might be the one who uh, destroyed the Ferris wheel because he has a jacket with the same color as Wally's. So all three of them go up into the fa- the real Ferris wheel. Mr. Haney offers to accompany accompany them there. 
And at the top, George actually confesses to Benke and Mr. Haney uh, at the top of the Ferris wheel. He like he just can't take it anymore. They keep talking about the Ferris wheel. They keep talking about who's guilty, and he can't take it anymore. But Binky intercepts him, and he prevents George from confessing. Uh, I forget exactly what he says to kind of head him off, but he interrupts George and, and makes sure that he doesn't actually admit to what he did. Uh, really quickly... I took a look at some of the video game cabinets at the Fair Arcade. So here's what ooh, ooh. here's what we got here. Uh Rage Road, Pack Dog, Dance, and Kung Fu. Kung Fu is a real game. Is it a real game? Yeah, wait, let me look up I don't want to be called out here. Kung Fu I mean, video I mean game. I suppose there must be a video game at some point named Kung yes, Fu. Yes, yes. Kung Fu, uh da, 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 da. Um, oh no! Is it called Kung Fu Master? Ooh, I thought it was just called Kung Fu. Mm. I mean, like I say, statistically speaking, there has to have been a video game called just Kung Fu. It's it's funny. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. no, Kung Fu on the NES. Okay, all right, there you go. Uh, we have we do have a real life game called Just Dance, but we don't have. I don't know if we have a game called Just Dance. When they get back down, George asks why Binky why Binky helped him and. He finds out that Binky already knew that George did. He figured it out the night before. And this is a surprising full circle moment for these two characters because you don't, I don't know if it's something that is at the forefront of the show a lot, but it's something we've seen through countless seasons. And that is that frequently when we see Binky being a bully, it's usually to George. A lot of times when, especially in the earlier seasons, when he needs, like, a background kid to menace, it's George. And Binky reveals that he, like, he knew that George was the one who knocked over the toothpick. And he wanted to pay him back for how nice he's, George has been to him. And I, I'm sure that he means, you know, earlier George offered to help him clean shop class. But I took this as meaning that, because, and I, I think Binky also says something to the effect of, like, I haven't always been the best friend to you. And you have always been really nice to me. So I wanted to do this for you. So he essentially takes the hit for George, although now George has to clean Binky's room for the next month. But I thought this was a real this was really interesting. Like you don't necessarily get this kind of long reaching Arthur Cannon thing all the time. Yeah. I think this this whole sequence is the highlight of the episode for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. I think there's an effective kind of um especially lately, I feel like Arthur episodes haven't had a lot of drama. There hasn't been kind of like a dramatic element where we're waiting for something to happen or to see something happen or not happen. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of have this sequence of, which by the way is very funny, Mr. Haney basically boring George (laughs) into his confession. Uh, I like that uh, Binky's aggressive interrogation techniques aren't actually the most uh, torturous interrogation techniques. It's having to listen to Mr. Haney drone on on the Ferris wheel. But it builds this tension to, you know, George is getting ready to say, like, I, I, he can't take it anymore. He's going to admit it. His guilty conscience is getting the better of him. And we get this kind of admission of guilt. And so we're like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Um, and then they kind of do this bait and switch, which is like a clever narrative technique of, okay, Binky actually covers for him. And so there's this release of like, oh, it's okay. Like, Binky's okay with it. And like you said, it makes narrative sense in the canon of kind of Binky and George's relationship over the past few seasons. So I think it's actually a really effective sequence to kind of tie up the episode. Uh, and I feel like we haven't gotten kind of this neat bow. Even the episodes we've liked this season – I feel like the weak point is always like, oh, you know, the ending kind of came out of nowhere and it kind of like wrapped up quickly. Um, And I feel like it's because they haven't had uh, a sort of narrative device uh, to bring the conclusion on like this. So I think it's effectively done. Right. And as I always like to say, when Arthur goes a bit of a different way, Arthur the show, it's can it can be it can surprise you in really pleasant ways. You I was expecting at some point for 
this to come to a head, like George would be revealed and he would have to say sorry and all this stuff, which he does apologize. But instead, we have Benki taking the initiative on this and we get a bit of a shift in their character dynamic, which I appreciated, especially as a longtime Arthur viewer. Uh, you know, they definitely don't have to do things for people like us who have seen almost every episode, but it's really cool when they do. And that's what they end the episode on, which I think was the which I think was the right choice. So, two George episodes. Very happy to see it. I think that he's always a character we can stand to see a little bit more of. But let's see what we thought about it. Lucas, uh, especially seeing as this had a little bit of a personal attachment to you, what would you think of the director's cut? So, I actually was a little bit disappointed with the director's cut. Hmm. Like, I, 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 And it's because it's kind of within... Uh, it's trying to tell a story that I usually would be really interested in, but... I feel like it's kind of an unremarkable episode. Like, George is kind of losing control of his production. He gets a piece of advice to, you know, it's okay to uh, be a little bit firm and collaborative with people in order to see your vision come to fruition. And then that just kind of happens. It just felt like there wasn't anything to keep me engaged. And like you said, we don't get to see the movie. We don't get to see the end product. And that's half of the fun mm. of these types of stories, these DIY film stories, to see kind of how things worked out and the kids' reactions to everything. Um, I don't know. I found it a little bit meandering. Um, what about you, Will? That's interesting. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I would have expected that, but I did like it. I, I, I liked mm. it quite a bit, actually. And I do agree, however, that... I think structurally this needed a little bit something else. And that is a, a trap that a lot of Arthur episodes around what we've been watching in the past few seasons have happened of like, sometimes an episode ends and you're like, that's it. Like, wasn't there more to be done? And I think that the, the true ending of the story, and you can go back to the movie episode from season two is that you want to see the movie they were working on, especially with all the cool ways that George was being an effective director. But I will say, be beyond that, I did like everything. And I, I always appreciate goosing up the characters and what they're good at, and also expanding that. We've seen an episode where, you know, George isn't good at baseball, but he's a good baseball commentator. Now we see that although George isn't a forceful personality, he's a really, he's a really effective director. Like, Low-key, George is one of the most competent characters in the show, just at, at, the, at the stuff he likes to do. He's a good director. He's a good commentator. He's good at working with his hands. He's very imaginative. He's just shy and not often confident in himself, and I think that that's really cool. Like it's He's just a, a fun character, and that is the foible that he has to overcome, and it makes him more... I think inherently likable than even main characters like, say, Arthur, who we've seen have a little bit of a darker side underneath them. Now, it doesn't mean now it means that George isn't as complex a character, maybe, but it does. I, I'm still interested in him succeeding because he's, as the second part of this episode uh, alludes to, he is a nice kid that you just want to see good things happen to. And uh, there were interesting ideas in here. I love the way that they visually communicated. Uh, young filmmaking, which I think sometimes can be a little bit hard to capture effectively. And yeah, I, I liked the spirit of this episode and I thought it was, I thought it was fun. So uh, interesting. I, I, I would have thought that maybe you would have been a bit more attached to it, but that's a, but, but I see where you're coming from too. As for crime and consequences, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit lower on this one, but I still ended up liking it, especially as you said, Lucas, the best part of it is at the end when we get a bit of a new landmark in the relationship between Binky and George. Uh, I think that that was a really cool way to do it. Um, the idea itself also goes against the typical tropes that you see in like a, oh no, I accidentally wrecked something. It's, you've seen a dozen of these cartoon episodes or kids TV episodes. And thankfully it doesn't go to the same plot beats as all those other ones. In fact, it surprises you in some ways. There are some good lines in here. I did think it was maybe a little thin again, like not a, not a whole lot actually happened, but there were some good lines. There was, as you, as you said, the animation on the Ferris wheel itself was fairly impressive and we got to see Mr. Haney again, which I appreciate. So I think I like this pretty pretty well. Not as much as uh, the the director's cut, 
but I did. I I also liked it too, and I think that that just speaks to how I feel about George episodes generally right now. I'm the opposite this time. Ooh. It's funny we we both liked different George episodes this week. Uh, I preferred uh, Crimes and Consequences. I think okay. I liked kind of this tale of uh, George trying to manage his guilt. Uh, I liked how much Binky we got in this episode, seeing, you know, hearing from Binky, hearing from Mr. Haney. Um, And I liked kind of George. It was a good kind of dramatic through line that George is both trying to investigate his own crime uh, at the same time, cover his tracks, uh, you know, with them interrogating Buster. And like I was talking about earlier, it wraps it all up in a nice, neat bow. Great conclusion to the episode um, and a great kind of evolution in the relationship between George and Binky. So I uh, prefer this one. Cool. Well, I'm glad that there is still something for both of us as we continue along this journey. Only a couple of episodes of season 17 remain, and we will be getting to those throughout the month of July and into August here on Elwood City Limits, especially if you are an Elwood City Limits patron, which, first of all, hey, thank you for listening, no matter uh, whether you are a patron or if you're not. We appreciate you all the same. On Patreon, of course, you're getting these a week early, and you are also going to be getting an interesting August, I will say. So I was thinking about this recently. As we discussed on the previous ECL episode, we're going to have a two-part ECL Origins episode that's going to be about mainframe entertainment and two of the biggest shows that we watched as kids, Reboot and Beast Wars. So the month is laid out a little bit interestingly in terms of at the end of July, you know, that to the final Monday of July then goes into the first Tuesday of August and similarly at the end of August. So what I think I will do is... We will have the part one episode of ECL Origins at the beginning of August, and then we will have the part two at what will be the beginning of September. So you might have to wait an extra week for ECL Origins, but it is coming. This will also accommodate the fact that the final two weeks in July for patrons will be the final two episodes of season 17 of Arthur, and then we will begin on a brand new season in August whether you're on the free feed or whether you're on Patreon, which is always exciting. That means we're going to be doing a season recap. That means we're going to be starting a new season and finding out what's changing. Yeah, there's going to be some fun things going on this summer. So hope that you're keeping cool with us, although uh, you certainly couldn't see it. Maybe you can tell from <laughs> the way I'm breathing. It's just <laughs> cool. It's d- the dog days out there. And certainly I'm going to need a freezy after this one. Lucas, we're continuing on with Season 17 after this one. The next set of episodes we're going to be talking about are Caught in the Crosswires and Framed. That's Framed! exclamation mark, which it's been a good while since we've had just a verb exclamation mark title, like uh, like Lost in Season 2. So we'll have to wait and see what that one's going to be all about. Whenever we have uh, exclamation point titles, it always reminds me of like an anime when it's uh, a statement. Like for instance, like in, in, in uh, One Piece or Dragon Ball Z, it'll be like, Luffy dies? Like, uh, whenever there's punctuation in the title. Uh, anyway, let's hope no Arthur characters meet their ultimate end next episode. Framed, Brave Prunella and her shining evolution, question mark? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So yeah, keep cool with us on Elwood City Limits. Thank you so much for listening, and we appreciate you no matter where you're listening to us from. And we'll be back at it very soon with some more of Season 17 of Arthur. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini... Did you see the film I made for Matt Damon? <laughs> we'll see you next time. I forgot about that. They did, they did have a Matt Damon reference.